The gospel reading today comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Now at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I want to make sure to say thank you for Kim for leading worship today, and we've tried to reserve time for any youth who are interested in leading worship today. By all means, well, not today, because Kim's doing it, but for the rest of the month, um, by all means, let me know. Uh, it would be great to have you up here. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So first off, I want to be able to say thank you afar, because I know she's somewhere else, to Dr. Valerie Bridgman for preaching last week, uh, doing a wonderful job. I heard many of you say how much you enjoyed her sermon, and uh, what she did here. So if she hears this at some point, thank you so much, Dr. Bridgman, for your time. And I appreciated that she helped us kind of set our sights towards this Lenten journey together, talking a lot about um, journeying and telling our stories. And so one thing that I hope we can start doing in this Lenten season, and we'll probably expand beyond that, is to begin to tell our stories together and mention this, that be on the lookout for something. But I am very, very interested, especially in this being one of our 200-year anniversaries. 1819 was the year of the log cabin being hewn and set up on the hill down the street um, to take a moment to tell our stories together. Uh, I want to know more about what made you want to come to Old Stone, why you stay here, why some of you are children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren of members of Old Stone Presbyterian Church, because the more we can tell each other those stories, both in Lent and outside of it, the more that we remember, like Dr. Bridgman said, remember who we are as brothers and sisters united in Jesus Christ in our small corner here. And I've been able to find, just because I'm excited about this, actually the first hundred years of pastors that have served at, at Radnor Thompson, uh, I have that list all the way through till 1908. From eight. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, some really great old pictures with guys with beards that are like out to here and no mustaches. Not planning on doing that, but uh, we'll have those pictures you know, maybe if we get the pictures all put up there, I'll, uh, I'll do it one day. It'll, it'll be big fun. So I want to begin today's message by uh, quoting a quote by Miroslav Volf. And Miroslav Volf is a contemporary theologian. He's written a bunch of great stuff on forgiveness. And a few years ago, in one of his books, he said this, Christian communities must learn how to work vigorously 
for the limited change that is possible to mourn over persistent and seemingly irreducible evils and celebrate the good whenever it happens. I'll say that again. Christian communities must learn how to work vigorously for the limited change that is possible, to mourn over persistent and seemingly irreducible... I use big words, but this one is big. Seemingly difficult to overcome evils. <laughs> and to celebrate the good whenever it happens. This was not written for speaking, of course. And I think this quote is helpful because it helps us consider what it means to be reconciled to lament. If you were here on Ash Wednesday, I had mentioned that part of what worship and music we decided that we wanted uh, Lent to look like was really taking serious this idea of reconciliation. On Ash Wednesday, the, um, the New Testament reading, Paul implores us to be reconciled to God. And so last week, without maybe being explicit about it, Dr. Bridgman reminded us to be reconciled to the journey that we take, be reconciled to the stories that we tell along the way. And this passage in the gospel, I think, helps us consider what does it mean to be reconciled to lament. That in Lent, we learn more about the at times tragic nature of our lives in Jesus. Now, if you don't remember what reconciled means, it's a, it's a word that is, has economic roots about exchange. That, uh, you know, if you are exchanging one value of money to another, you would reconcile it. You know, you think about reconciling accounts, similar idea. But we're willing to come from one place and another. We're willing to move together to a mutual place to stand together. That is reconciliation. So if we're going to be reconciled to lament, at one way we have to be willing to move from one place to another and that we recognize that if we do move that way, we're going to come to a new place. We're going to be changed by reconciling ourselves to that. Now, I think this is something that we'd prefer to avoid or at least delay until it inevitably washes over us and we try to resist it as best we can. So why would we even want to make peace with lament, with sadness, with grieving, with weeping, with wailing at the way that the world is? Why position ourselves closer to the pain that might come over us? I think it's because it's everywhere. We can't hide it. We can't avoid it. It is going to come at us whether we like it or not. It seems that every week there is a never-ending amount of stuff that comes out on the news, happenings in this world, that remind us again that this world is full of pain and worthy of lament. It's global. This week there was the incident in Christchurch where 50 people died and nearly as many were wounded as a white nationalist in New Zealand opened fire on two mosques in New Zealand. Now, whether you have varying opinions on on Islam, we can say that 100 people either losing their lives or being seriously wounded at the hand of somebody with an an agenda is probably not something good. It's probably worthy of lament. And we could go on and on week after week after week after week of the consequences of this world at times seeming to work never-endingly against itself. But sadly, it's not just out there. It's not just an ocean away. In spite of 
Turns out being the wealthiest county in the state by, I'm not kidding, nearly $40,000 a year per household, Delaware County is. We are the only county in the state that has six-figure average household income. We are one of the wealthiest 25 counties in the nation, Delaware County is, which blows me away. In spite of being the wealthiest, in spite, it turns out, of having amongst the lowest rates of obesity and heart disease in the state, we're healthy people, we're wealthy people. We still have stories like those that I've heard over the last few weeks of women and children who were made homeless because they found out, they discovered that their spouse was abusing their children. Or the individuals who had to leave their homes, their temporary homes at 10 o'clock in the evening in order to prepare their apartments because they had to be at work. And when other, do, when other time are you able to prepare but the wee early hours in the morning to ensure that somebody will repair your new apartment? And those are just stories I heard at Family Promise in the last couple of weeks. Not to mention the stories that I still carry with me from my time in the state when I was working week after week with people who were sequestered into nursing homes and desired more than anything else to be out in the community again. But were caught there because somebody was more interested in the liability that they were out in the community rather than who they were and what they cared about. In Delaware County, as I look this up, In this county, if you are in poverty, you are likely a woman who is in your mid-30s, or you are a young boy, somewhere between 5 and 15. And so what that tells me is there are a lot of families in Delaware County who are dealing with poverty. Even in a wealthy, well-to-do part of the state of Ohio. And we hear this stuff and we say, well, this is lamentable, this is sad, but what do we do? And I think there's ways that we aren't reconciled to this information, that we aren't reconciled to the reality of the brokenness of the world. I think that we can hear these things and we steadily find ways to withdraw. If you are one of those folks that's on the other side of that um, that average income, if you're stable, it's really easy to keep pulling yourself away, right? When you've got a safe home and a stable income and everything's going well and the kids are happy, it's easy just to let the rest of the world go away. And certainly sometimes I think when we hear Paul talk about our citizenship in heaven, it can become a ticket out. Once you have decided to live your life for Jesus and you know that that punch card is stamped, well, You can sort of keep a distance of things. The blessings of this world are because we do have that citizenship in heaven. And a way not to have to carry that lament and the brokenness of the world because we're just a little bit removed from it. But the reality of our commonwealth, our citizenship in heaven, is that it was always meant to be shared with the world. We can't just depart the world because of what's happening in it. We can't just walk away and act like it doesn't happen. 
The gifts of grace and hope within difficult circumstances that so many of us have experienced in our lives are meant and waiting to be shared. To not share the gifts of this commonwealth, of this place where we carry our spiritual citizenship, are a lamentable tragedy in and of themselves. How many of you have seen the movie Black Panther? Because this is going to dictate whether I use this illustration. Okay, so the five of you, good illustration. I was thinking about Wakanda and how the whole time Wakanda is this technologically advanced city, and at the end they realize we can't leave this to ourselves. We have to give it away. And that seems to be the final turn of the movie. If you've not watched Black Panther, it's worth the time, and then you'll get the illustration. (laughs) As we think about lament, we cannot be reconciled to it by walking away, by raising ourselves to a different level. Instead, we are reconciled to lament in fellow imitation. This is what Paul gives us in his telling, in his scripture today. The word that he used in imitation is related to symmetry. That we're meant to be symmetrical with what Paul was doing. And Paul himself was being symmetrical to what Jesus was doing. And that symmetry requires some grief at the way the world is. Not always criticism, like they had it coming to them, or not always withdrawal, but the wailing at the reality of a broken world. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have wished to gather you up under my wing. Grief, lament, the desire to bring those close. That is what Jesus wanted. And in that way, recognizing the the brokenness of this world and letting us hit us at times, I think is the symmetry of the heart of Jesus that we can live in every single day. But not only that, in that movement of the heart, it also means that we move forward to witness the moments of redemption and resurrection along the way. We see little blips around the world in the places that we go of healing and hope. And so not only do we hope to have a symmetry of the heart, but we hope to have a symmetry of the body and the action of Jesus as well. That it's not just what we feel inside, but it's how our hands move to restore this world just a little bit. And when you hear in the gospel that the Pharisees are saying, hey, Jesus, maybe you want to leave. I think oftentimes in the rest of the Gospels, we hear Pharisees and we think somebody who's fighting. But I think here in Luke, Luke tells the Pharisee story a little differently. We think that these might actually be well-intentioned, other well-meaning Christian folks saying, Jesus, like you might want to tone it down. This guy is looking to kill you. And Jesus could have left. Again, would have made for a less interesting story. But certainly Jesus could have said, you know what, y'all, you're right. I think I've had a little too much of this. I'm going to go home. I've got carpentry work that still needs done. Dad has been complaining about it. 
It would have been a withdrawal, though, from the brokenness of powerful people worried that their control would slip. It would be a withdrawal from the reality that Herod had so much power and was afraid that somebody who was telling a different story would overcome him. Instead, he did his work as long as he was here. He responded to the brokenness of the world, the power that Herod was continuing to keep over his people with healing. And Christ's reconciliation to lament was not avoidance, but in the desire to move closer to the brokenness of the world, fully aware, by the way, that it might not result in restoration. Not every action that we hope to take is going to result in the world getting better. I feel like that's one of the places where we as Christians always get tripped up about why do we do this? It's like, I've been busting my butt doing, I've been going to family promise for months and years and years, and there's still homeless people. I've been going to Kairos preaching the good news to folks, and there are still people in prison. Why do I keep doing this? Well, the reality is, We do it because it's what we're called to do, and we reconcile ourselves to the brokenness of this world, and we continue to walk forward in it just the way Jesus did. Jesus wanted to bring all of the people together under his wing like a hen, even though they didn't necessarily want it. That didn't stop him. It meant he continued to walk forward. So I was thinking, like, what's a practical example for us here in Delaware County? And I started thinking about where I live, 45 Park Avenue, quarter of Park and Franklin, right downtown, a little off downtown, across the street from the ECC. So I get to watch my kids and all the other kids run around while I'm working at home. It's terrific. But right across the street from us, down a little bit, is the only low-income census tract in all of Delaware County, Ohio. It is literally where the only concentration of poor folks live in this entire county. And to give you a sense of what it means to be a low-income census tract, it means that at least 50% of the household households in that area make under 60% of the area median gross income. And so in real numbers, that means more than half of the families there make $45,000 a year or less. Now, there may be some of you that say, well, that sounds like a lot of money. And in some places it is. But when you live in the richest place, the wealthiest place in the state, $45,000 doesn't get you very far. Not to mention when you start getting up there in that forty dollars to $45,000, a lot of the other supports that you can receive, like SNAP or Medicaid or all those other things that help that money stretch forward, you no longer can access. you got to go it alone. And this is not the time and place for that, but it would be, I would love to talk about the lamentable reality of that, that you have to decide if you make just enough to get by. And I remember, and I couch this with saying that I know it was loving, thoughtful comments to protect us or our kids. I remember multiple conversations I had in my early time here where folks said, you really want to live there? You want to send your kids to Woodward? 
Don't you know? Woodward is not the good elementary. Of course, once you start breaking out the statistics and you see that kids that look like mine do just as well all throughout all of the elementary schools in Delaware, maybe there's other things that end up coming into that. And again, I didn't look at any of those comments as anything other than love for me and my family. And perhaps there was some degree of lament in that, that isn't it sad that we have schools in Delaware that aren't as good as the rest? Isn't it sad that we have low-income areas where there aren't things to access? I know that. I don't judge that. But perhaps where we may want to think is, where does that lament lead us to action? Where does the lament of places like right across the street from me lead us to be there, to serve there, to love there? to extend our wings as a church into some place that desperately needs it. Instead of saying, are you sure you want to be there? Maybe it's saying, you know what? I wonder if there's people who are reading there. I love to read to kids. I have a little extra time. Maybe I'll call the school. Hey, I know Second Baptist Church. I know the pastor there. Maybe we could find a way to work together. Maybe there's ways we can get to know people. And here's the thing, y'all. That might not be the thing that we're called to as a congregation. There are other congregations who may be called to that. But the second we start thinking to ourselves, well, isn't it sad, but I'm glad. Those are the times that I think we can push ourselves just a little bit and try to extend our wings just a little bit. And that is what I think reconciliation to lament is. Recognizing that, yes, this world is broken, but instead of keeping it away, we can bring it closer. We can have it be with us because, friends, the good news is that that's where the resurrection occurs. That's where reconciliation occurs, and that's where redemption occurs. Because it's never going to be when it's out here. It's only going to be when it's right here in front of us. Thanks be to God.